As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League Show, the Thursday edition. More managerial movements as United sharpen their blade and sack Slav. Oldham curl one out and Simon Grayson's had his chips with the Cod Army. This is the Totally Football League Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello again, hope you're well. It's a classic TFLS lineup today. We've got you, listener, in position A1. Producer Abby's warming up her odds machine as we speak. And with me, Matt, the two longest serving members of our squad. Sam Parkins here. Hiya, Matt. And Adrian Clark too. Hello. I've got to say, whenever anyone says curl, curl one out, it, it just makes me giggle every single time. And I know <laughs> it's really immature, but but yeah, you just yeah, tickled me there. Thanks. Uh, let's start with some sackings then, shall we? We had loads of midweek matches. Uh, the one that I wasn't expecting us to talk about, Adrian, was Slavisa Jakanovic because his team went and won at Reading on Tuesday. And yet here we are recording moments after news is breaking that, that he's on his way out and Paul Hacking Bottom's going to take charge again as he did at the end of last season. Has there been a row here or is it just the, the general underwhelmment, if that is a word, of, of Sheffield United's season down in 16th place? Well, we don't know is the honest answer about a row, but they have been underwhelming. But I th- also think they've been quite unlucky, Sheffield United, this season. You know, the metrics tell you they should have scored more goals. They should have conceded fewer goals. And whenever I've seen them play, they've they've looked like they've, they've got something about them. And and I feel that, that they're still capable of making a push for the playoffs. I really do. I think the playoffs are really wide open this, this season. And I'm staggered, really, that they've decided to trade Jukanovic in because he's proven at this level. He's been very, very successful. I think he is a smart manager. I didn't see any hints of trouble there. And it's just completely come from nowhere. And and to to give it straight to Paul Heckingbottom, who obviously ran the ship post-Chris Wilder, I find that bizarre given how many good managers are out there at the moment, um, I just, yeah, he didn't pull up any trees towards the end of last season, I didn't think. They they looked a bit lost at times, Sheffield United. And I've had a look at his win ratio as a full-time manager. Barnsley, 27%. 
Leeds 25%, Hibs where it ended quite badly 34% and Sheffield United as an interim was 27%. You know, he's never managed more than 83 games at a club. I think he's lucky to get the gig. Uh, Sam, is, has Jukanovic maybe paid the price for not being able to get a tune out of this myriad striking options that he has? I'm thinking Ollie McBurney, Rian Brewster, the likes have not really got going this season. Has that been part of it? I'm just scratching around for a reason to find why they've made this decision. I think that's definitely been an issue. Um, if you think back, they had that thumping victory over Peterborough. I think they won three and four during that run with Ndai and, and Gibbs-White really coming to the fore. And we felt that was the moment, but then they've nosedived since then. I don't think Ndai was involved at, at Reading, so something's probably happened there. I don't know. I think there's probably more behind the scenes uh, than, than meets the eye here. Um, he doesn't seem to have enamoured himself with the supporters. Um, I don't think that he's really got them on side. And I don't think they were, he was particularly backed when you look at some of the other sides. Um, Bournemouth, maybe off the top of my head. I don't think he necessarily got the additions that maybe he wanted going into this season and and possibly there's a conversation already been had about January and whether he's going to be backed in that window. So I think there's probably something gone on in terms of personal relationships has meant that there's been a part in other ways today on the on the back of obviously a good victory as you say, Matt. So um but with Adrian it's not a it's not a an appointment which um you know fills me with um expectation for them to really pick up you when you think of someone I think Clarkie's muted Daniel Farker for other jobs recently he'd be a, a great pickup wouldn't he uh, considering his track record so we'll have to wait and see but I think when you look at the the gap between them and the automatics and the playoff positions it, they need an upturn they need an upturn quick and the board certainly felt that they had to act quickly that's a really good point Sam makes, Adrian, about being backed. I'm just looking at the, the transfer business they've done and, and the key players that they brought in are all loans. Horahan, Olsen, Gibbs-White. In terms of permanence, you've got ageing Adlan Guediora coming in from Al Garafa and Joe Starbuck from Grimsby. And if the manager's only there for a cup of coffee, then he's not going to have time to get much out of him. You know, they, they got that parachute payment money and they seemed reluctant to spend it. Yeah, sat on it. No, Sam makes, makes a, a very... Pertinent point there. He he didn't get back. The loan signings are good as well. If if it was Jukanovic that identified those players, you'd ha- you'd have to say that they were pretty pretty wise choices. Even though the team as a whole has underperformed, I still don't think they're a million miles away. I don't. I, I think they can be competitive against anybody in the division. I hand on heart, I just feel that Jukanovic is a is is a man more likely to get them on that upturn than, than Paul Heckenbottom. So, and if they were going to make the change and upgraded to a Farker or Alex Neal, who was another name mentioned, give him a chance, then I, I get it. But this seems a bizarre choice to me. I wonder who's scarier, Alex Neal or Slavisa Jukanovic. I'm pretty intimidated <laughs> by both of them. Um, but we better Don't move on. Don't make me tell the Slavisa Jukanovic jumping in a bin story again, please, Matt. Oh, I don't remember that one. Oh, you do. Chris, Christmas party, Jukanovic got stuck with like five or six younger players and uh, we proceeded <laughs> to dive into uh, big industrial bins on Drury Lane or something and he, he was just stood there in his um, in his suit looking bemused. 
<laughs> well, he's been chucked in the metaphorical bin by Sheffield United on this Thursday. Somebody else who's looking for new work is Simon Grayson, sacked after Fleetwood's poor form. No wins in eight. Uh, they said, following a difficult run of results, assistant head coach David Dunn will also depart and everyone at the club would like to play some record there. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the sack, you're out. Uh, this is a much easier one to, to understand, isn't it, Adrian? You just look at that run of form that I've just mentioned and, and if that's the run you're on, you're in trouble. Yeah, I do get this one. I do. Fleetwood are a little in a bit of trouble. And as we know, they're quite an ambitious club. Not the biggest, but they certainly don't want to be going back down to League Two. The the metrics, the underlying sort of stats aren't great. Fewer shots in open play this season. Relied heavily on set-piece goals. They've scored 12 of those. Third worst defensive record as well. So at both ends of the pitch, not great. And and in recent games, they've sort of needed to score two or three goals just to get a point, and and uh, you're in a, you're in a bit of a bad bad place when that happens. So, yeah, I, I understand why Fleet would have made this change, uh, with the caveat that they'll probably have appointed somebody just after Abby publishes the pod. I'm just looking at a couple of the names on the list: Sam Crispy, Anthony Barry, Mike Flynn, Paul Tisdale. Any of those tickle your fancy? Not really. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be surprised if um, Paul Tisdale wants to up sticks and move to the filed coast. Not that it's a lovely part of the world. I had a girlfriend from up there once upon a time. Enjoyed. Uh, Did you cycling down uh, across the seafront? But um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, scoring goals isn't the issue, is it? They just need to tighten up defensively, which you'd have expected Simon Grayson to to focus on uh, considering his track record. Um, I think Morton's continued to be the one shining light for them, really. Every time I've seen them, he's he's all action. Surprised he ended up there, really, in the in the summer. Um, but yeah, one one clean sheet all season and that came in the victory over Crewe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not good enough. And d- despite being pretty free scoring in, in terms of being a bottom of the half, uh, bottom half side, um, that that's not good enough. I don't know. I thought Joey Barton had them in a good place a few years ago. Remember that playoff campaign? They were a really good side for for the level. Uh, just capitulated in that semi final against Wickham. Otherwise, we could have been talking about a championship side. So there's some decent players there, and there's a decent infrastructure, and I think it's a pretty good job for somebody. But I wouldn't want to hasten a, a guess as to who that is right now. Uh, Keith Curl also given the boot last week. We'll talk more about that later when we look ahead to Oldham's game with Salford at the weekend. Uh, let's move on to some of the midweek action, though. In the Championship, Derby ruffling feathers again. They held Fulham to a goalless draw. Uh, Sam, from the Championship in midweek, there are an awful lot of nil-nils. I'm, I'm desperately scratching around here for a story that's not Sheffield United sacking their manager from the matches we saw. So I'll just let you talk about QPR and how wonderful they are for a little while. Well, yeah, the type of game when I was watching on from home that you'd expect QPR to drop points in, to be completely frank. Um, I think Huddersfield have had a particularly good record over QPR recently. So to win, and yes, the scoreline was tight, but in in the fashion that they did, I think it's really encouraging. Up to fourth, uh, 22 shots and a brilliant story in terms of Amos, who was just finding his feet what was it, probably 13, 14 months ago when he got a really bad injury at Bournemouth uh, midweek game. And uh, he's just kind of been finding his feet the last few weeks and months. Um, So for him to get the goal was a brilliant story. And I think that's 30 games now 
consecutively that QPR have scored in, which is is brilliant for the punters. And two, yeah, two results against Luton on Friday and against Huddersfield last night where I would have envisaged QPR certainly dropping a couple of points. So going brilliantly, got the right man for the job. Um, yeah, it's, it's looking like a season where they can definitely make those playoffs. Uh, not much movement other than QPR in the table. Blackburn up to seventh after they wallop Peterborough. We'll talk more about them later. Swansea up to ninth. They won 2-0 at Barnsley in Poirier Bargi's first game in charge. Preston beating Middlesbrough. Not a good start for Chris Wilder. Two home games, only one point from them thus far. Another good win for Hull, though. That's three on the spin for them. They won away at Cardiff on Wednesday and it moves them above the Bluebirds in the table. They've now got a three-point buffer between themselves and trouble. Uh, there was a fair bit going on in League One, Adrian, and, and plenty of it significant, particularly at the top end of the table. Definitely, yeah. Um, lots of different stories in, in League One, not least Ipswich, getting comfortably swept aside by Rotherham. I thought that was um, that was as sort of easy as it gets, really, for the Millers on the night. Ipswich looked a long way behind them, by all accounts, and... Um, they tried out that sort of narrower formation that I'd suggested and it didn't work uh, with Chaplin, Selena and, and Fraser as well, I think, behind Bond and it just didn't work. Um, yeah, they, the fullbacks didn't get forward and, and yeah, it was quite flat. But I'd say the, the performance of the midweek has to be Wickham, right? Uh, to win at Plymouth 3-0. Absolutely sensational result. What a game as well. 43 shots between the two sides. Plymouth had 27, Wickham 16. Um, and it, and it, it was sort of, it will be remembered, I guess, as the night where Anis Mehmeti, the Albanian youngster, really sort of made his mark on that first team. A graduate of the B team setup that they've got down there at Wickham. And and he, he came in at number 10 and, and produced a couple of lovely finishes. So well, well done, Wickham. And, and the other one we've got to mention, because we've mentioned how bad they are at coming back from behind, is Sheffield Wednesday. They... It's the first time in 23 months that that Sheffield Wednesday come from behind to win a match. So congratulations to them. And they did it against against a really good MK Don side who maybe didn't didn't show up on the night. But uh, yeah, another good 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 night for Theo Corbiano, who is very impressive on loan from Wolves and and Windass and Gregory, both fit, both available at the moment. Both scoring goals in this game. So, uh, yeah, Chef Wednesday looking up. Interesting, Sam, actually, aren't they, Wednesday? I'm just looking at their results and I feel like for weeks we've been saying, oh, they draw too many games. They're never going to get in the playoffs. This is not a good season. Actually, they're unbeaten in nine in the championship. They've won three of their last four. One of those was away. One was against Sunderland and coming from behind late on to beat MK Don. So maybe it's not all doom and gloom. No, possibly not. But I, I don't know. I think there's, there's sides that are jostling for promotion the, the top places that have got clearer identities maybe and have got more set formations that have been um, successful in the early part of the season I think Darren Moore's had to search around really to to to, to find what's going to be his best partnerships and his best way about trying to get consistent results but yeah the aforementioned strikers I think I called it didn't I on the telly a few weeks ago they're, they're your men Windus and um and Gregory, so yeah, to get that to get that comeback victory as well was enormous because of 
the amount of times me and Clarky have pulled that out over the last year. Um, <laughs> it's been a great stat to draw on, hasn't it's it? It's been a yeah. great stat. I'm a little bit disappointed, to be honest. But um, yeah, with, with those two back, they, 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 they've got a chance, Sheffield Wednesday. You'd never rule them out. And, and obviously there's other players like Corbiano, who Adrian's seen in the flesh recently, um, putting in some stellar performances. Uh, League two-wise, bit of movement in the top half of the table after the midweek results. Swindon up into the automatic promotion places. One of our panel tipped them to win a home game finally this week and it came to pass. Well done, Adrian. Uh, Northampton up to fourth. Harrogate and Sutton both moving up as well. Sutton back in to the playoff places. But I think, Clarkie, the, the most surprising result in League Two, no doubt, was between Colchester and Exeter. The Grecians were 15 unbeaten before this. I don't think anybody predicted a 3-1 defeat for them in Essex. No one was calling this one. No, it's it's been a bit of a nothing season for Colchester United, but they've pulled this result out of the hat from nowhere and it was definitely their best result of the campaign, maybe their best since Hayden Mullins took over. So well done to them. There's a couple of loanees actually that really caught the eye in it. Keep the goalkeeper, Jake Turner, came in. He's on loan from Newcastle, had an excellent game. And uh, the Bulgarian under-21 international, Sylvester Jasper, on loan from Fulham, also also Sean, I think, along with the the sort of older centre halves they've got there in Tommy Smith and Luke Chambers. So yeah, well, well done, Colchester. I think I, I never see them as a team that should be in danger, but they, it feels like they're way off of the playoffs. I think mid table might be the best that they can manage this season. But uh, yeah, it was a night to remember there. Sylvester Jasper is an incredibly satisfying name to say, by the way. Um, Speaking of satisfying, Sam, I guess that sums up how you're feeling about Swindon at the moment. Three wins on the spin-up into the automatics and we'd made a big deal of this home form. So to get just a second win in the league at the county ground uh, this season feels pretty big. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, the front front players involved again. Simpson with a goal. McCurdy provided a a beautiful assist for Williams' opener. And um, yeah, I, I, I question whether it was going to be sustainable really with those two guys playing up front and carrying the burden. But yeah, they're, they're doing fantastically well. And there's a brilliant clip of the entire move that leads up to Johnny Williams's goal. And you can hear the usual moan and groans from the, the supporters in the Don Rogers stand. Get it forward. Why are you playing backwards? And it goes to both centre-halves who, who build. And then there's a an opportunity for one of them to step in he plays the ball down the side for McCurdy and it ends up in a brilliant towering header. I don't think we've said that too many times about Johnny Williams during his career, but wonderful team goal. And that's what Swindon are right now. But the substance to it as well, because I think they're, you know, the, the, the stats show that they're creating a number of opportunities despite having that domination of the ball. And that's not always the case. So, so far, it's been a really brilliant start to Ben Garner's um, tenure at at Swindon and long may it can continue. All right, still to come, we're previewing some of the weekend's big fixtures, but next we're talking to Coventry captain Liam Kelly. Uh, it's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line, and today we're talking to Chelsea fan Dave. Hi, Dave. Yeah, uh, Lukaku looks to be back, but I'm concerned about his ankle injury. Oh, it doesn't matter, mate. Of course it matters. What if the leg goes? Well, if one goes, that doesn't matter, does it? Hey? Yes, that's right, Mr Chelsea fan. If one leg of your bet builder lets you down, you can get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet builder bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Min four plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. aware.org. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Listen, we've got a huge deal going on right now, we being The Athletic for Black Friday. You can get yourself a subscription for just a pound a month for 12 months by heading to theathletic.com slash league show. But you have to do it soon. The offer ends this Sunday. That's the 28th of November. So head to theathletic.com slash league show now. Well, I'm very pleased to say that we are joined now by the Coventry City captain, Liam Kelly. Um, Liam, a lot of people on the outside calling you the surprise package of this season, Coventry. Were you as a group expecting to be in the position that you are at this stage? Um, I think we expected ourselves to be more competitive than what we were uh, last season. I think the tail end of last season, we really picked up and you know really started putting together some good performances and putting uh, a lot of points on the board. So we expected to be in a better league position than what we found ourselves. But... Um, you know, where we find ourselves at the minute is obviously fantastic. And it's just going to be a case of consistency now and trying to, you know, keep that up throughout the whole season. So if you're generally regarded as an underrated team, we wondered, who's the most underrated player within your team, do you think? Um, do you know what? It's hard to pinpoint it on one player. There's been, you know, you look at Victor at the start of the season, I think he scored, you know, six goals in such quick succession. You know, and um, I don't think anybody expected him to get off to such a flying start. But then saying that, you know, Goddard has come in and he's, you know, been to find, you know, a great abundance of goals. So I don't think we can really pinpoint it down to, to one player underachieving, I think, or overachieving. I think it's been a collective effort. You know, there's been a lot of players used from the squad so far this season. So it's really a case of, you know, everybody's pushing everybody at Coventry. You know, it's very hard just to get into the starting line up here at the minute because everyone's performing so well, you know, so when you are on a team, you have to make sure you're on top of your game and you're performing well to be able to, you know, keep putting the results in, you know, especially our home form being fantastic, you know, and I think that's probably been the biggest surprise package from people from the outside looking at. Yeah, I know you're away this weekend, but wanted to ask you about the home form. Seven wins from 10. Is, is it simply that you are at home this season, which has been one of the, the driving factors behind that, or is there something else? You know what, I think our... Yeah, when we played at home when it was St Andrews, you know, over at Birmingham, our actual form over two seasons was actually, you know, really, really good. We obviously won League One and our home form last season was good as well. You know, and I think we, we've been able to perform away from home. And as soon as we come back to, you know, to Coventry City and we've had you know, massive attendances, you know, only provides a massive, massive boost for us. I think a lot of clubs are maybe a bit, you know, maybe plays who haven't played against Coventry, you know, in recent times. Probably don't realise how big a you know football club it is, how big the fan base is, and I think you know sometimes it can catch you by surprise a bit. Because atmosphere has been phenomenal, you know, even though it was a nil-nil the other night against Birmingham, you know, the atmosphere was you know terrific, and uh, it wasn't a boring nil-nil. It was an entertaining, fast-flowing game. We were just unfortunate, you know, not to get the goal that we needed for the win. But you know that has been massive for us, and it's helped put us in the position where we are. And, if we can start adding some away performances and away points to the board, then, um, you know, it steers us in the right course for the rest of the season. You mentioned the, the size of the club and, and obviously you've been there since the League Two days. I, I wonder how much evolution you've seen within Coventry City in that relatively short period of time. Yeah, I think it's just been a case of belief. You know, obviously when I first arrived at the club, we're in, you know, it was the first season in League Two. And, uh, you know, I think there was a bit of, 
you know, a sense of, you know, a big underachievement. You know, I think a few people had sort of, you know, maybe lost a bit of interest at that time. But, you know, you're going to look at the tail end of that season in League Two when we had the playoff run, you know, and you look at the tendencies we got, you know, especially Notts County away in that second leg. And then taking, you know, what did we took to? Was it 40, 45,000 metres to Wembley? You know, it was a fantastic, I just went to show support that is there. And I think it's just been gradually building and building. You know, the fan base has been building and building. People have been coming back. And obviously the performances have been building. You know, the league position has been building and it's all going in one direction. And I think, you know, as players, all we can do is just try our best to help, you know, contribute this club moving in the right direction. And, you know... It, Coventry are getting back to where Coventry deserve to be because they are a big club with a big fan base, you know, and the stadium's fantastic as well. And if we can try and put ourselves, you know, back into a position where we can compete to try and get in the Premier League, then, you know, I'm sure the fans will be loving it and uh, hopefully they can keep, you know, providing, you know, great atmosphere for the games. Obviously, Mark Robbins is a, is a big part of that. And I know AD Vibash is too, right? He, he he does a lot of the, the coaching there with you, Mark's number two. Those two as a, as a management combination seem to fit perfectly for, for Coventry. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, the, the gap and AD have been brilliant, you know, and it's it's not just them, it's what the, you know, they've brought in and around it. Obviously, brought Dennis in, you know, got Aladdin as well as a goalkeeping coach. And, you know, I think everyone's got a lot of trust in them and, you know, preparation for games is, you know, second to none. We make sure we prepare right. You know, the training's, you know, really, really competitive. And we make sure, you know, we've got a certain way of playing. And we work hard on that during the week. You know, so when we turn up on a Saturday, no matter who's playing, everybody's, you know, fully aware of what's, you know, required of them. And, you know, I think you've seen that with the energy. You know, that's a, that's like our training sessions. You know, the energy in the games is the energy that's in our training sessions. And, you know, if you want to be successful, you know, you've got to be competitive every single day of the week. And, you know, that's something that's been built here. And it's not just happened overnight. It's happened over the course of a few years now. You mentioned energy. You'll need plenty of that on Saturday when you go to the South Coast. Bournemouth, <clears throat> a difficult proposition for anybody, albeit their last two results, probably not what, what they would have wanted. But um, that that's one that you've been preparing for today, I'm sure, and one that's not going to be easy. Yeah, no, it's going to be a tough game. You know, Bournemouth are a very, very good team. They've got, you know, some good players and obviously the second season now out of the Premier League. So they've still got enough quality there to get themselves up the top of the league and compete for promotion. We're under no illusions, you know, I don't think any away game in the Championship's easy, let alone a Bournemouth side of the quality that they've got. But, you know, we've got full confidence in ourselves and, you know, we'll prepare right and make sure, you know, we're fully aware of, you know, who the Bournemouth players, you know, how they play and what they look to do. And we'll try and, you know, devise a game plan with our, you know, brand of football that we play that they can go there, they can be entertaining and can challenge for a win because, you know, we're not going there to, to you know, just try and stick in the game and try and hang in. We're going there to, you know, to play football and to win the match. Uh, Liam, we always like to finish off with a really difficult testing question to kind of put our guests on the spot. So here's yours. Who's your favourite Kelly out of Des or Lorraine? Lorraine. So it's an easy answer, really, isn't it? I mean, there's no more. I to can't say. give a reason for it. She's, on the <laughs> She's been doing it at the top level for years on morning television. You can't well, say that. I'm a United fan as well. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, listen, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time. All the best for, for the weekend and for the rest of the season. No worries. Perfect. Thanks for that. Uh, Adrian, Bournemouth-Coventry looks like a really interesting game. Obviously, Coventry do most of their damage at home rather than on the road. But, I don't know, are we calling it a wobble for Bournemouth that they haven't won for two games? A minor wobble. I think they're still right up there, aren't they, in terms of the form table across the last six games. Bournemouth are the fourth best team. So, across the last eight, 
they're the second best team behind Fulham. So no, I don't think we can constitute it a crisis yet, but it might be a good time for Coventry to go and play them. Coventry are really solid, aren't they, at the moment? A um, couple of goalless draws have been frustrating slash satisfying, I guess, for, for Mark Robbins. So at least they can go into the game against Bournemouth feeling like they're secure. And that's probably the most important feeling you want to have up against a team that are very, very dangerous going forward. So, yeah, I think this will be an interesting game. All right. Next today, we'll look ahead to some of the key matches coming up this weekend. You're listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Of course, West Brom are playing on Friday night. That's what happens in the Championship most weeks. They'll be hosting two-time European champions Nottingham Forest. But we're going to turn our attention to the bottom of the table. What a big game this is between Peterborough and Barnsley at the place formerly known as London Road. Uh, they occupy two of the bottom three places at the moment. Peterborough 15 points, so two from safety. Barnsley down on 11 points. They are second bottom in the table. Uh, Posh-wise, Sam, didn't go very well for them on Wednesday night. Beaten 4-0 by Blackburn. I guess if you've been positive, you'd say it's not games like that that are going to define their season, but it sure will be games like this. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. I I think sometimes we've given Darren Ferguson loads of credit and it's quite refreshing, especially... I think in the summer he spoke about the way they were going to attack the lead and uh, league and try and outscore the opposition and stuff like that. And you you can admire that, but I think a time comes when you've got to be harder to beat, change the shape. I think they're far too open away from home. I think there's been great success with playing the front three, Schmodix, Dembele, uh, Clark Harris, who was back in, but you, you can't do that for every game. So I'm not suggesting they'll change before the Barnsley fixture, but I think... Going away from home, the the record is so pitiful. Is it 28 goals they've conceded in 10 games? Um, and they haven't got that same creative spark that they've had previously in League One. So something's got to give in that, in that regard. But ahead of this game, you'd say they've probably got more firepower. It's the two teams that are averaging the least shots in the division. They've had the least shots in the area. They're not creating anything like they have done previously. So they have to get back to, to that, that front three. He made changes at halftime last night and I think probably to give them better calibre defenders in terms of being on the ball and playing out and it didn't kind of change anything really. Blackburn were very, very comfortable, maybe flattened them a little bit, but yeah, Peterborough need to improve and maybe some of that's got to come from the manager who's been backed by the chairman, but I think um, it's up to him to, to tinker with one or two things. Quite the contrast here in the dugouts, Adrian. You've got Darren Ferguson, who's done over 500 games with Peterborough, and Poya Asbagi, who this is officially his second. Uh, they gave him the bye for the Fulham match, then they got beaten at home by Swansea in his first match. It's not, you know, time to put all your cards on the table, but but this feels like the time when his reign really gets underway, doesn't it? There's, there's no excuses of, oh, I'm fresh in, I don't really know the players so much now. No, he's inherited a group of players that are not in a good moment. That's what he's, <laughs> that's what he's inherited. It's, it's not great. I mean, yeah. Peterborough, the, the manager was ruthless, wasn't he? Taking off two of his centre-halves at half-time. Kind of admire that. But Barnsley, as a first game goes, first impressions, tough to play Swansea because they keep the ball brilliantly. They had 20.8% of possession, Barnsley, in front of their own fans, 
in a home match that they're de- so apparently desperate to win. And it's tame, isn't it? They had three shots. Um, what I will say is that they limited Swansea to just six. So I can just see a low-scoring, cagey relegation six-pointer here, can't you? It just feels that way. With Sam's rattled off the attacking stats, really bad. But Barnsley setting their stall out to defend and to, to, to keep things tight under the new manager, that's normal. And Peterborough on the back of a, a tonking going in saying, we do not concede today because we can't have that again. I, I just feel this this might be a horrendous watch. Um, but if somebody can win it, it will be a big win. And let's move on to Stoke against Blackburn. Ben Brereton-Diaz heading home on Saturday. He might actually head home a goal, given the form that he's been in. But what I mean is that he's going back to his hometown. Not Santiago, but Stoke. (laughs) Blackburn visiting the Potteries. Uh, Sixth versus seventh. Just one point between the two teams. Stoke beating at Ashton Gate. What on earth happened there, Adrian? That that doesn't happen to anybody. No one loses there, do they? It's it's really weird. No, they... Well, they were down to 10 men, weren't they, for a bit. Joe Allen got, got himself sent off for a couple of fouls. And they are injury hit, Stoke. It could be a good time for Brereton to sort of have a happy homecoming because they've got a lot of players out, not just Allen. The goalie's out, isn't he? Joe Bursic for three months. Suter's out for the season. Important player at the back. Jordan Thompson, Sam Klukas, Seema, Nick Powell. All out injured. Sam Surridge is still suspended from that daft red card he got. So they're kind of down to the bare bones a little bit for this one, Stoke. So be interesting to see how they fare. What they do have, actually, is is options up front. Because you've got Brown and Fletcher who have been doing ever so well. Struck up a nice rapport. But you've also got Tyrese Campbell fit again. Came on and scored, didn't he, last weekend. So so options up front. But the rest of the side looking a little bit, little bit light ahead of this one. What Stoke have got to do, I think, is just tick over during this really difficult period where they've got players out, pick up the odd point, the odd win here and there, take their medicine if they do get beaten, but don't go on a bad run. Just stay in and around the playoff mix because when those players that I've mentioned are fit and available, I'll tell you what, that they're up there. They're definitely up there in terms of squad depth and quality, and I think that they are good enough for the playoffs this year. Sam, it's difficult not to just talk about Ben Brereton-Diaz when you talk about Blackburn, but I mean, what a response they've had to that 7-0 walloping at home by Fulham. They've won, what, two of the three since then, drew the other, and all of a sudden they're scoring for fun with your boy BBD, obviously at the four of that, only five behind Mitro now. But considering that Tony Mowbray seems to either be under pressure or not being appreciated, he's not doing a bad job, is he? One point off the playoffs. No, he would have been probably top of the list in terms of managers... Uh, that that could have lost their job uh, if they hadn't started the season well. I think there was a big clamour for him to to go in the summer, certainly towards the back end of last season. So I'd give him enormous credit. Um, but it's a bit of a different shape as well that they're playing. There's less, well, there's clearly less onus on loanees because obviously Harvey Elliott was one of their, well, he was their, their talisman really last year for large portions. So... There's other players coming to the fore. You, you, obviously, Brereton Diaz is incredible right now, but Buckley, Rothwell, you know, they're not names that roll off the tongue in terms of like, you know, top championship players, but they're they're producing like that at the moment. Scott Walton was on loan at Northampton last year. He's part of a, a really solid, classy looking back three at the moment. So this is a massive game at the weekend for their 
you know, uh, potential runs towards the, the the playoffs. What I'd say probably the difference between the two is that Blackburn risk uh, not their squad being decimated, but losing one or two. And I don't see mm. that probably happening with Stoke. So it, it, their season's going to be determined whether they can keep hold of some of those players I've just mentioned and maybe add one or two just to give them that final push. But like QPR, really, would I be astonished if Stoke and Blackburn got in the playoffs and maybe got to, to Wembley? No, I wouldn't at all. So he's doing a really good job. Um, Tony Mowbray deserves credit. Uh, somebody who will be without, not just for the weekend, but for a while, is on loan midfielder Ian Perveda. Uh, he suffered a fractured ankle at Bristol City last weekend. So you'd have to wonder if he will ever play for Rovers again this season. Uh, usually close between these two teams, by the way, not more than the goal between them in any of the last five meetings. All right, how do we do with our midweek hacker, Abby? You know what, don't answer that. Uh, just give us some odds on those championship games that we've just mentioned instead, please. Wasn't good, was it? Well, let's go to Peterborough Barnsley, where Peterborough are the favourites in this one. They're seven to five, with Barnsley nine to five. The draw coming in at nine to four. If we go down to Stoke versus Blackburn, Stoke, you might be surprised to hear, are the favourites with Blackburn uh, five to two. If you fancy Ben Brereton Diaz to be an anytime goal scorer, he's nine to five. Or if you want him to be the first goal scorer, he is nine to two. Nine to five any time. That sounds like value to me. Those with Paddy Power, of course, by the way. Right, we'll be in League One after this brief interlude. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Right, before we preview League One, just after we'd finished recording, the news broke that the Wigan striker Charlie White had collapsed during training. Uh, The club say he's in a stable condition and is in communication with his family, hospital staff and the club's medical team. We wish Charlie well. So Rotherham and Wickham, the new top two, after they both registered those impressive wins uh, that we spoke about earlier. One of those was against Plymouth, specifically Wickham's, and it's Plymouth who we're going to focus on now. They take on Wigan Athletic, not much more than a cigarette paper between them in terms of the league table, but a long way between them in terms of distance. You have to travel to get from one place to the next. Uh, Sam, we said on Monday it was hardly a crisis for for Plymouth after they lost at the weekend against Charlton, but then they were beaten midweek too, so this is a big test for them. Yeah, and they've had two really difficult games, as tough as it gets. I think that the Charlton game sounded like it was incredible intensity from both sides. And and again, against Wickham on Tuesday, and we're going to have had a bit of a rest. I think they had a free weekend before that Cambridge game. So, uh, And they've got the squad. Um, so, you know, that said, it's probably an opportunity for Ryan Lowe to 
to evaluate where his squad's at in terms of how many minutes they've played and maybe just uh, roll the dice a little bit and make one or two changes. But it'll be a different type of game. Wickham spoiled that contest, it sounds like, on on Tuesday. They they allowed Plymouth to have the ball. Um, it sounded like Dan Scar was the centre-half who was afforded the opportunity to bring it out. And Wickham just sat in and um, trusted that they'd be able to counter, play long, run the clock down. And um, Plymouth had no answer to it, really. Uh, scored some brilliant goals, but Plymouth were a little bit one-dimensional um, when their wing-backs couldn't affect the game. You know, we've spoken so much about those two guys, how positive they are for Plymouth and how they hold the key for them. So, yeah, I'd imagine Ryan Lowe will probably look at it and, and maybe freshen things up in a, in a game where you'd like to think it'll be a little bit more open uh, and Wigan will have a go as opposed to sitting in as Wickham did and frustrating. Might be some shooting practice going on on the Plymouth training ground too. 27 shots at goal against Wickham, only four of them on target. And a bad night made worse. Defender Brendan Galloway suffered a dislocated kneecap, which uh, for me, Clive, is the most disgustingly painful sounding injury in all of professional sport, with the notable exception of what happened to Chris Welpdale a couple of years ago. We don't need to revisit that. Let's move on swiftly. To Wigan, who needed two late goals to salvage a draw at Cambridge midweek. But, Clarkey, they're a way record in the league. Phenomenal. Beaten at Sunderland on opening day, but they've won six, or they had won six in a row before that stalemate on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, they don't mind a road trip, Wigan, that is for sure. It was just a, yeah, sort of, they suddenly found themselves two goals down at Cambridge, even though they dominated the match. And, and they had to dig deep. And they did, to their credit, with Will Keane and Callum Lang. Coming up trumps, they've scored in every game this season, Wigan. So we know that they carry that threat, which is why I think Plymouth should try and be on the front foot here and, and get some goals themselves, get those get those front guys involved. And yeah, I think attack could be the best form of defence here. Yeah, Max Powers in midfield now, isn't he? So he, he was at right back. He's been moved into midfield, doing ever so well. Will Keane's on fire, eight goals, four assists. And one other thing I've noticed with, with Wigan of late is is that they've changed their formations a little bit. So it was very much four two three one every week, but now the last few weeks they've they've tinkered a little bit, and, and so that just gives Ryan Lowe something to think about ahead of kickoff. The worry for Wigan is at the back, less solid than they were. They've conceded twi- twice in three of their last four league games, and when you cut up against a Plymouth team that up until recently had been scoring goals for fun. That's a slight worry. You can't keep relying on your Langs and your Keens and your Wikes to get you out of jail. So uh, I think this could be exciting. I, I tipped up Peter Brabansley to be a, a scrappy bottom of the table clash. I think this one might be um, might be good to watch. Let's hope so. Wigan have won on each of their last four visits to Plymouth, the most recent of which was 2-0 back in March of this year. And now, much to our old pal Joe Crilly's dismay, we haven't spoken much about Bolton Wanderers lately. We'll rectify that now by previewing their home game against Cheltenham, the self-titled best team in the league, beat Doncaster convincingly on Tuesday. Uh, Though, Adrian, that was only their second win in the last eight league games. Uh, Mm. So, room for improvement. Yeah, they're, they're a strange team at the moment, Bolton. Definitely had a wobble. But I feel that the win against Doncaster was a step in the right direction. It was very dominant. Loads of possession, over 70%. 20 shots, I think they had to, to Donny's six. And, and they passed the ball really well. And that's what they do. They do look after it very well compared to most teams 
in League One. I think only really MK Dons pass it in a in a better way than Bolton. So so they are a good team to watch. I get where wherever it was coming from, even though he he inflated their quality by saying they were the best team in the league. What they need to do is is start doing better against the the top teams in the division. They've played nine matches against teams in the current top 10 and lost seven of them, failing to score in all of those games, Bolton. So up against the the top dogs, they've fallen short. Cheltenham, I would suggest, uh, are not top dogs. They're more... You know, so similar level to Bolton. So it'll be a really interesting game here. And the issue for them ahead of this game is that they've lost Lloyd Isgrove, who is, you know, one of their attacking midfielders to a, to a hamstring injury. They've lost Dapo Afalayan to suspension. So they were really short of creativity ahead of this game. And, and as Sam's about to say, I'm, you know, Cheltenham are in, in decent nick at the moment. So yeah, it, it, yeah, tight, tough one to call this one. But Bolton aren't as good as Everett says. But they're definitely not a bad side. They, the, 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 you know, the way they knock it around is, is admirable, really. Uh, Sam, not many people would have predicted Cheltenham to have been above Bolton in the table coming into this game. No, very much under the radar, I, I would say. Incredible start to the season. Made even more, I suppose, um, remarkable is the fact that they're doing it without any of that back three that have been so celebrated over the last um, couple of seasons. You know, obviously toes have moved on. And Raglan and and Boyle not available. I think when Boyle plays, they invariably they get a result, and he's not been available recently. So Long, Pollock, and Freestone—that's a, a new trio winning games. Um, just one defeat in in ten, and Michael Duff was quite scathing uh, about his players in victory at Gillingham in the week. Said they were far too disjointed. The defence was too deep. The strikers were too high, and basically the midfielders. Um, had to get through too much work, basically. He said that the players agreed, um, which I'm not sure about. Uh, having been in lots of dressing rooms after you've won 2-0 away from home, I'm not sure they were too disappointed. But he reckons they were in total agreement with him. But no, he's, he's doing a brilliant job. Looked at the team. Carl Joseph on loan um, is a forward play. He played right wing back uh, the other night. And defensively, by all accounts, he was really solid. Obviously, he had a, a threat going forward, but defensively was really good as well so they're in a brilliant place I think they're a really well coached team and obviously they'll be happy with Bolton having the ball you know that, that that's what they do um, last year a 1-1 and a 1-0 between the two I expect it to be something similar but yeah Cheltenham won't be deterred by Ian Everett's side knocking the ball about they'll um, pose their own threats um, ordinarily from from set pieces but also got the two up the pitch in May and Vassell who will be a threat for, for Bolton. So in the balance, we wouldn't want to say which way it'll probably go. Unfamiliar foes, these two. It's only going to be the fourth time they've met in all competitions. Uh, Abby, what do Paddy Power think is going to happen in the game? Paddy is a little bit stronger than Sam on where this is going. Bolton are 11-10, to 10, Cheltenham 5-2 to 2, and the draw 9-4. to 4. And if we head to our other game, Plymouth-Wigan, Wigan are the favourites in this one, 7-5. to 5. Plymouth nine to five and the draw twelve to five. If you fancy both teams to score at home park, it is thirteen to twenty. Thirteen to Aye. twenty. Uh, sounds good. Okay, League Two next. It's the Paul Scholes Derby at the Peninsula Stadium, where Salford City take on managerless Oldham Athletic. Let's start with the away side here, Sam and Keith Curl. Only one win in nine. 
in all comps. But can they attract anybody better than Keith Curl in the state that the club is currently in? Seems like we're having this conversation every six months. We are, aren't we? Um, yeah. Uh, it goes back to how desperate someone is to get a job in the EFL because um, it's a poison chalice, isn't it? And I, I certainly feel that Keith Curl has shown enough in the last few weeks. He's not been brilliant, but I felt that they'd shown enough to get themselves out of trouble. I think defensively they've been better. Better teams than, than Oldham are going to get beaten at Northampton this year and have done in the last couple of seasons. You know how powerful Northampton are, especially from balls into the box, set pieces, especially at six fields. You know, that that was a, wasn't the uh, the most desperate of results. And I thought the second half performance was a lot better as well. He, he went away from his trusted back three, went to a back four. The fullbacks got forward, Hope and Hopcott. Uh, linked up well in the second half once he'd made the changes. So the biggest problem for Oldham has been replacing McElhaney, who they're going to come up against at the weekend. He scored 17 goals last year and they haven't been as nearly as fruitful going forward this year. Bambula's been on the periphery. Hallam Hope is is not a centre-forward and, and Dernley can't really stay fit. So there's your biggest issue because I think defensively they'd have got clean sheets under Keith Curl. Going forward, they haven't got enough threatening players so I don't know where they go from here but I don't see them being as bad as some of the other teams down the bottom of the table so whoever comes in's probably got enough at his disposal to to keep them in the division uh, Salford meanwhile drew one all with Bristol Rovers on Tuesday Matty Willock and Ash Hunter both sent off harshly I thought so they won't play this weekend pending successful appeals where are you at with Salford at the minute Adrian that, that was a decent point given the circumstances but but generally this is not what uh, their famous owners anticipated for this season is definitely it? not no I, I was tipping them to do much better at the start of this season and I've, I've kept faith with them and and weirdly, even though they're sort of unbeaten in five matches in all competitions I'm more down on them now than at any other stage. I just think they're unimpressive. They've got all of these good players, not really got a prolific goal scorer, as Sam's pointed out on numerous occasions, left themselves light there. They don't play great football, knock a lot of long balls forward. It's not pretty or fluid. Still don't really look like they've got a soul or that they're playing like a team. And and, and that's an issue, really. I th- yeah, I think that Gary Bowie should be under a lot of pressure, really. I, I do. But but I guess the results have been okay. They were jammy to draw with Bristol Rovers. Make no mistake about it. Um, I know that you'll say, oh, didn't they do well? Fought back with nine men. But there was a definite goal that was disallowed in the last minute. That I paused it at the moment. The player crossed it and he was onside. He was definitely onside. So, so they got away with one there. Um, and I, I don't think this is a gimme, even though Oldham are, are struggling, got no manager. I don't think any match is a certainty for Salford at the moment. Not not at all impressed with them, really. It's it's, it's mad with Salford. I, th- I think there's been examples of teams that have come up from from the conference that have obviously been able to stabilise in in the football league, and we're seeing it with Harrogate and and Sutton United now. But I would imagine those two clubs in particular have had players that have been there throughout the last few years through the journey and with Salford if you keep changing the manager and obviously you keep refreshing the squad each year searching for success 
Um, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. So we could still be two or three years. I don't know what you think, Clarky, but mm. two or three years away from Salford actually having a go, a real go at promotion, just because it still feels to me as if it's a, a collection of individuals thrown together, a club that doesn't really have its own identity. So maybe we, we shouldn't be surprised until a manager's had two or three years. And some of the players have had two or three years, because I guess that's the way they got through the non-league levels, is having consistency yeah, but, and people that know the club. But look at Wigan. They've, they, they bought a whole new team, didn't they, in the summer? And... And they're flying high and they look quite fluid. Ipswich, you could argue, is a team of individuals. It, I agree. It is a strange one. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't get what they're trying to achieve. I certainly am not seeing any kind of identity there with them at the, at the moment. Not that that's the be or an end all, but yeah, they're, they're relying on individual quality or long balls. That's from the outside looking in anyway. Maybe it'll get better when Phil Neville inevitably gets the job, but um, <laughs> that might, that might, might be his Maybe level, not. to be honest. Yeah, I think he's, he's, <laughs> uh, he's been punching until this point. Uh, Abby, give us some odds on that game between Salford and Oldham, please. Yeah, I imagine the uh, odds have changed somewhat since the announcement of Keith Curl's departure. So uh, Oldham are 4-1 to one to win this game, but Salford the heavy favourites, 8-13. And the most likely scoreline from this from this game is 1-0 to Salford at 5-1. to So as uh, Adrian says, might be disappointing. <laughs> you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, right, we're just about done for today. But given it's uh, the chaps with me, uh, I thought we'd revive everybody's favourite quiz before we go. It's minor details from Sam and Adrian's playing careers. Uh, a question about each other's career. Uh, so Adrian, you're up first about Sam's career. Here's your question. Uh, Sam's Millwall debut came back in September 2000. Went pretty well too. The on-loan Chelsea man bagging a brace in a 5-0 demolition of Oxford United at the Den. Uh, in the Millwall team with Sam that day was a man who was the first player to score for his country at a World Cup finals. He'd go on to score in three separate World Cups and win over 100 caps. Who that? Chin being furtively stroked. <laughs> is he googling with his left hand or? No, I'm not. Look, look, I'm going like that. I mean, it feels like it, it should be Tim Cahill, but I don't know if he was there then. Um, Tim Cahill is the only one that comes to my mind, so I'm going to say it. Tim Cahill is absolutely correct. Yes. In, th- in three different World Cups, Tim Cahill, what a record that is. Um, was he a nice chap, Sam? Uh, he was all right. Stephen Reeve was hesitation. <laughs> Stephen Reeve was my mucker. Got everything I needed out of him. <laughs> right, here's your question, uh, which is Adrian adjacent. Back in October 1998, Clarkie was on target for South End as they drew 2 2 at home to Leighton Orient. Which current Premier League manager was in the Orient defence that day? Oh, 98? Yeah. That would have to be Dean Smith. This was too easy, wasn't it? I've really let myself down. <laughs> Did you skin him for the goal, Clarky? Did I skin him? Um, well, he would have been near me. I remember the goal. I remember the game. It was a really, really exciting game. Um, yeah, I probably, yeah, I, I, I slotted in from the centre of the box. So, yeah, probably he was a bit slow getting out to me. 
and uh, yes, slammed it in the net. So yeah, no, I do, I do remember that. It was a cracking game. Matty Lockwood scored straight from a corner for Leighton Orient. Never forget such those a um, such an aggressive defender, Dean Smith, oh. but such a nice bloke that I just used to like playing against him because you normally get a good natter along with the elbows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and when when I left Southend before I went to Stevenage, I trained with Leighton Orient for a little, little bit with a view to maybe joining them. And he was like a senior pro there. And yeah, I really liked him. And yeah, just a, just a top bloke, really. Just a good good lad. And I think, yeah, I hope he uh, hope he shines at Norwich, even though I'm a bit of an Ipswich man. Tiebreaker? Um, no, because <laughs> that. I'm not sort of one. <laughs> Come on, we've got How many European Cups have Forrest won? Um, what do you remember <laughs> about that brace, Sam? I, I didn't give you the, the chance to talk about your goals. Oh, just that I was so nervous before the game and I remember just knocking everything over and I was trying to put my, my suit on its uh, hangers before the game. <laughs> uh, and then I scored after about 30 seconds. So obviously that just settled me down. And to be honest, we could have had about 10. Neil Harris helped himself to three. Um, so it was a it was a bit of a walk in the park, but it gave me real, it gave me real confidence. It was an amazing team, to be honest. We had Lucas Neil, who I'd imagine played in World Cups, Paul Eiffel, Obviously, Premier League, Stephen Reid, top Premier League career, Neil Harris, record mill scorer. It was a, Sean Dyche at the back. It was an unbelievable side. For, so for me to make my first appearances with with those chaps was pretty easy and, and felt that it was we won the league that year or they won the league. So it was a great introduction. Easy or daunting. I was just going to say very quickly, playing for Millwall as a young lad, when you are nervous and, and sort of green and, and a, an absolute rookie do you think that that's character building do you think it maybe stood you in good stead because if you can come through that challenge i would imagine you feel a bit tougher for it Especially i don't know if about, you're on loan from chelsea you're yeah. not exactly Millwall's best yeah. i don't know about for me because it was it was such a good team and i i came in well, they weren't doing particularly well when I came in, but the, the couple of months I had, they were absolutely flying. So they were on the crest of a wave. So it was easy because the supporters were with you. But I think for some of those guys I've just mentioned, Reed and um, and Ifill and, and Cahill and such like, because they got such a hard time when things were going poorly, it probably it probably improved their mentality for, for the years to come and, and probably really helped in, in what was stellar careers for all of them yeah so so definitely I mean it's a tough place it's a tough place even when you you know thinking back there even when you concede in and a little bit under the cost they they do get at you so you've got to have thick skin well there you go an underwhelming quiz but we had a nice chat off the back of it so all's not lost um, hopefully we'll have a nice chat on Monday as well when we go through all the big talking points from the weekend's EFL action uh, until then many thanks to Abby to Adrian to Sam and to you for joining us listener we'll meet you back here at the start of next week until then it's bye for now You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic. <laughs>